Reading from the book of Ruth, chapter 3. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen, know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then, as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it out, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. The word of the Lord. Reading from the New Testament. Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanks and giving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. The word of the Lord. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. John said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. 
And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able to raise these, from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. The tax collectors came to be baptized and, he, and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. And the soldiers also asked him, And we, what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not exhort money from anyone by threat or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. As the people were in expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, and the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the shaft he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done. He added this to them, and he locked up John in prison. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. I'm struck this morning by the contrast between um, John's welcome and my welcome at the beginning of the service. Right? He says, you brood of vipers. So um, just be thankful for how friendly my welcome is. It could have been John the Baptist-like. So let's pray. Father, we are uh, so thankful for John the Baptist and what he teaches us. We're thankful for all of your word for the book of Ruth and this morning and that we reflect on that. Are we just thankful that you speak you are alive and active, and you um, call us uh, to, to follow you and to grow in you, and you help us, Lord. So we seek your help today. We acknowledge your presence um, with us, and we ask all this. In the name of Jesus, amen. So perhaps you can imagine um, the book of Ruth um, as a Hallmark uh, movie. Um, I'm told Christmas Hallmark movies are uh, popular um, at this time. Maybe you're a fan. Um, and if we sort of imagine, what would the book of Ruth uh, be like that? Um, uh, we can imagine Boaz, a hardworking man, a good boss, who's always put his job first. He's never had the time for a family has come to believe that love will never be his. Then we have Ruth, a widow, just starting to come to a place of healing after the loss of her young husband, getting adjusted to life in a new city. She impresses her older but handsome new boss with her initiative and pluck and starts to wonder if there's more than just a working relationship happening between them. And then you have Naomi, the grumpy but lovable mother-in-law, the comic relief um, in the movie, right? As she schemes behind the scenes to get Boaz and Ruth together a future wedding, right, obsessively on her mind. And, of course, if that were the case, right, the, the name couldn't just be the Book of Ruth. You would need a, a better name, perhaps a bride in Bethlehem, redeemer romance, or matchmaker mother-in-law. So 
Pete told me if it's a Hallmark movie, it's got to have an alliteration. Um, apparently, he knows uh, these things. <laughs> so we talked about it. Now, as attractive as that idea may be, or perhaps uh, for many of us as unattractive um, as that idea may be of making the Book of Ruth into a romance novel, I want to suggest, or a romance movie, um, I want to suggest today that the, the primary message, perhaps not even the secondary message of the Book of Ruth, is, is not about the romance between Ruth and Boaz. Now, we may be tempted uh, this week uh, to wonder about that as we have this um, middle-of-the-night rendezvous on the threshing floor as we have feet being uncovered, um, that uh, perhaps, um, you know, there's a, a romantic element to this. But first and foremost, I believe that's not the point of Ruth. But I would say the book of Ruth is a love story, right? A powerful love story. But it's a love story, right, about redeeming, sacrificial abundant, generous love that is demonstrated actually by multiple characters in the story. And I want to consider that love today and how we see that love being lived out. Again, that redeeming love, that abundant love. And I want to ask the question as we look at that love, where does it come from? Or what is the source of this abundant, redeeming love that we see at work in the book of Ruth? All right, so let's uh, begin with a, a little um, review um, of what's happened previously on um, the Book of Ruth. That's more television than uh, movies. Uh, but anyway, what's gone up to this point? If you haven't been with us the last couple of weeks or you haven't read through um, the Book of Ruth, um, some background. So it begins with uh, Naomi um, and her husband Elimelech um, moving uh, out of uh, Bethlehem, uh, where they live, going to the um, land of Moab, the country of Moab, because there's famine in their land. They have two sons, they are going there um, to provide for themselves, but sadly, while they are in Moab, Elimelech dies, and actually the two sons die. And so Naomi tragically loses both um, her husband and her two sons. Her two sons are married, but they do not um, have children, and so it's Naomi um, left with her two um, daughters-in-law. She finds out actually that back in Bethlehem there is now um, food, that the famine has ended. She decides to go back to her hometown but she tells her brother, her mother, her daughter-in-laws, understandably, right, you don't need to come with me, right? Stay in your own land. Find husbands. I cannot provide a husband for you. And one of her daughter-in-laws, or Orpah, understandably, takes her up on that offer and goes back to her family. But Ruth, amazingly, surprisingly, says, no, I'm committed to you. Wherever you go, I will go. Your God is now my God. Your people are now my people. It's an amazing statement of faith, and it's an amazing commitment to her mother-in-law. And so the two of them move back um, into Bethlehem. And when they come into Bethlehem, Naomi lets it be known among the people there that she left full with a husband and two sons, and now she has come back empty. And she says, God is like an adversary to me. I mean, she comes back, right? She's, she's bitter. She's upset, understandably so. In chapter 2, we see Ruth now seeking to provide um, for her new family, for her and her mother-in-law, and she goes out to glean, which is a common practice at that time, especially for people in need. Gleaning is basically going into fields after they've been harvested and picking up the leftovers and finding grain. And I talked about last week how God had set things up and actually commanded his people to allow for gleaners so that people would be fed and those in need would be taken care of, and specifically foreigners. Um, it says resident aliens would be taken care of. So Ruth is acting on what God has provided and goes out to glean. And amazingly, she ends up in the field of Boaz. 
Boaz celebrates Ruth's commitment to um, her mother-in-law. He acknowledges to Ruth, I know how you've cared for Naomi, and he cares abundantly for her. He makes sure she gets plenty to glean. He actually gives her extra. She comes home that evening to her mother-in-law with this abundant amount of grain that she's worked very hard for, but also that Boaz has made a way for her to have abundance. And when she tells her mother-in-law that the man who provided for her is Boaz, Naomi is amazed. Because Boaz is their redeemer. He is a, a member of their extended family who has a commitment to care for their family. And so of all the people, right, of all the fields that Ruth could have ended up in, um, uh, you know, gleaning in, it's the field of Boaz, a person who actually has a commitment to their family. And again, God has set things up that there are redeemers who are to care for members of their family who are in need. And the, we're told then the harvest time eventually ends. We assume that you know, Ruth has gathered much during that time, but now the harvest time has ended, and we're kind of wondering, what's next, right? What will happen? What will happen? That's where we get to chapter 3. And it begins with the mother-in-law, not so much scheming, but yes, she has a plan. And clearly, this is not a spontaneous sort of just came into her idea. Hey, how about this idea? Clearly, this is something that she's been planning out. And she says, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Seeking rest for you, basically the idea there, should I not seek a resting place for you? In other words, shouldn't I help you to settle down? Now is the time for you to settle down, and I believe it should be with Boaz, our relative, right, who you know. And so she has this plan. I mean, obviously, she's been studying how things work at Boaz's, you know, farm where, you know, um, she knows this is the night that they'll be winnowing. This is the night that Boaz will be sleeping on the threshing room floor, right? She's thought about this ahead of time. One commentator I, I read I pointed out that actually part of the winnowing process involves wind. Like if there's wind, it works better. And so he even wonders, did Naomi see that it was a windy day and thought, now's the day, right? This is the night that Boaz for sure will be there working. And so she is planning things out. But as I talked about last week with Ruth, we see that now with Naomi. It's a responsive acting. Right? God has provided, God has led Ruth to Boaz. They have a connection now. And Naomi's acting on that. God has led them to their Redeemer. And Naomi's saying, let's, let's move, right? Let's respond to what God is doing. And she's also responding to the, the virtue that Boaz has shown. I mean, it's kind of striking that she says, go to this man in the middle of the night and do whatever he tells you to do. Clearly she trusts Boaz is a righteous man. He will not take advantage of this situation. She knows that Ruth is safe going to Boaz in this way. Now, Naomi, in wanting to see Ruth married to Boaz, is providing for herself, in a sense, right? And we'll see that as we continue in this passage, right? Because he's the redeemer, if he marries Ruth, there will be obligation, um, even greater obligation, to care for Naomi. And so there is perhaps an element of, you know, a self-serving nature in this. But then the clear intent we get from the scriptures is that first and foremost, Naomi is concerned about Ruth, that it may be well with you. And keep in mind that Naomi, again, when they were back in Moab, said to her daughters-in-law, go. I can't provide for you a husband, right? She could have said, stay with me. I need your help. You know, don't leave me. She actually said, go. Go and provide for yourself. Settle down. And so we see that similar here, right? Once again, she is concerned for Ruth. There's a self-serving, or not a self-serving, a a other-serving, right? A, A generous love, that Naomi is showing as we begin. Again, a redeeming love. Ruth, may you know redemption in all the sacrifices that you've made. 
And so we see that first and foremost with Naomi and her concern for Ruth, that Ruth settle and know a husband and again, know a virtuous husband. Keep in mind, as we saw at the very beginning of this um, reading in this series on Ruth, this takes place during the time of Judges. If you've read the book of Judges, you know there were a lot of um, uh, not well-meaning people um, in Israel at that time. There were many things happening that were scandalous and awful um, in that time. And so it's understandable that Naomi would say, here's a virtuous man. Marry him. Here's an honorable man. Let's make this happen. So we have Naomi, but then we have Ruth's response and the redeeming love and the care for others that we see in Ruth. She says to Naomi, all that you say, I will do. Sounds like a good plan. I will honor you, my mother-in-law, by acting as you're calling me to act. Um, And she goes, and sure enough, things work out as Naomi um, hoped um, that they would. Um, And you just got to appreciate verse 8. At midnight, the man was startled, probably startled because his feet were cold. I mean, that actually, that word gets kind of funny, but that word can mean shivered. So some wonder, is that what woke him up, right? Is that the whole idea of uncovering the feet, um, that it would lead to him eventually waking up? He turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. In chapter 2, we were introduced to Boaz with a behold. Remember, Ruth is at this you know, place, she's gleaning, and behold, Boaz shows up, right? He's an important character, and he just happens to show up on that day. Once again, we have a behold. Behold, a woman lay at his feet. Not what you would expect when you wake up in the middle of the night. Uh, Boaz, it's the only time you hear Boaz a little rude. Who are you? Right? What, what is going on? What's this person doing laying at my feet? Why did you uncover my feet? Um, and she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Last chapter, it was Ruth the Moabite. Right? That's how she's defined. She's the Moabite. She's the foreigner. She even defines herself that way. I'm a foreigner. But this time, right, her... Her understanding of herself has changed. I am Ruth, your servant. I'm no longer defined right, by, by being a foreigner, by being a Moabite. I've come and sought out your help. And she says, spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. If you remember um, Boaz's words uh, to Ruth, when they first met, he celebrated her generosity, her loving kindness, an important word, hesed, right, that captures the loving kindness of the Lord, but can also be used to describe people's loving kindness to one another. Um, remember, he said to her, the Lord repay you for what you have done, caring for your mother-in-law, caring for Naomi, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So Boaz said to her, you have come under the wings of the Lord. May you know his blessing. May you know his provision. And now basically Ruth is saying to him, I want to know the provision of the Lord. I want to know the blessing of the Lord through coming under your wings. It's sort of a theme you maybe have heard us talk about before. Basically she's saying to him, may you be the answer to your prayer for me. You prayed that I would know the shelter of the Lord, which she has known, right, through Boaz and through others. But she is saying, I want even a greater sense of his shelter, a greater sense of his blessing by coming under your wings, by receiving that from you. Right, and that um, image of covering under wings or being covered was actually a common image used for marriage. And if you think about it, if we understand marriage as the two becoming one flesh, as the union of two people into one, right, then that covering, right, being one covering over two people is really a beautiful image for marriage, right? So the, the two becoming one. There's one covering over them. And so it's, it's a marriage proposal um, that she's making to him. But then the fact that she follows it by saying, and you are a redeemer, she's basically saying, I want you to marry me. I want you, again, to be that answer to prayer because of the obligation you have, the commitment you have to our family. You are Redeemer. Now, there are a couple things I have to say here. Again, that idea of being an answer to our own prayer, 
Uh, that does not mean, look, prayer, you know, the only thing it is is sort of a pep talk to yourself. You know, okay, I got to do this, so I'm going to pray, and that's the way I'm going to make myself do it. That is not what I'm saying at all. But we actually do see that God works through his people. We got that when we talked about the kingdom and the kingdom coming, how God works and brings his kingdom through his people. And so if that's the case, it's understandable that as we bring our prayers before the Lord, as we intercede, that there's always an openness to, Lord, all that I'm asking, it may be that I'm a part of answering this prayer. Right? God answers prayers in ways beyond what we can do. Right? God intervenes in supernatural ways as we pray. But he does call us to, to serve him out of our prayers. Right? If we pray for God to make his redeeming love known, we know that one of the ways he will do that is through his people. Right? And Ruth is acknowledging that. Ruth has come to understand that. You want the Lord to bless. Well, one of the ways you can see the Lord's blessing is through you being a blessing. Right? And she's probably experienced that Boaz lives in that reality. Of course he does. But then that she would say, because you are a redeemer, you have this obligation. Right? At this point, again, if it was a romantic movie, we'd probably say, ooh, right? that's not good. Right? This is the moment right when the tension comes up between the couple. And then you have, you know, it's like kind of two-thirds into the movie, right? You know, where it's like, uh-oh, things aren't going to work out for them. Right, because Boaz is going to be hurt. Wait a second, you care more about your mother-in-law than you do about me. You only want to marry me because I'm the Redeemer. And that's exactly right. Uh, we don't know if that's the only reason, but certainly that's one reason. She makes clear. But how does he respond? May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness, hesed, loving kindness, greater than the first. Now what is he talking about there? What, was the, what is the first kindness? Well, again, based on what we've seen already in the interactions between Ruth and Boaz, which have been fairly limited, it's the kindness that she showed to Naomi in staying with her and caring for her. And he's saying that first kindness that you showed in you know, coming to Bethlehem and staying with your mother-in-law, now you've shown a greater kindness in seeking to marry the Redeemer. The greater kindness is to take care of Naomi in even a greater way, to take care of her family line, to take care of her property. You are doing this through inviting me to marry you through proposing to me. And so his response is not, you know, how dare you? You know, how, how dare you, you know, use me? It's rather, blessings be to you. And I think there's something we can learn here, right, from, from Boaz and from Ruth, and from this marriage proposal that actually is about someone else. Now, I don't want to suggest that we should, you know, start arranged marriages. Some countries do. Seems to work fine, but I'm not suggesting that. I'm not saying let's take all romance out of a marriage or um, suggesting that you should only marry someone that can provide for your parents and your family, although as my kids get to marrying age, that sounds pretty good um, uh, in many ways. So great. That is not my um, suggestion, but I do know, we all know, that when you come into a relationship, whether it's marriage or, you know, relationship in a church, relationship in a small group, relationship of a friendship, if first and foremost your goal um, or your only goal is for self-fulfillment, is for this is so that my needs can be met, this is so I can be satisfied, so I can be fulfilled, right, it ends up often causing problems. Not that that shouldn't be a desire. That's a good desire, right, to have our needs fulfilled in marriage and in relationships, right? That's a right desire. But if that's our only desire, that actually hurts the relationship. Right? And we would actually say in marriage, if the only desire is that the two people in the marriage be satisfied and be built up, and that's our only concern for the two of them, that actually is not a Christian view of marriage. In Ephesians 5, right, we are told, right, um, Paul says, and the Lord says through Paul, right, there is a great mystery that the marriage between a man and a woman is actually about the love of Jesus Christ for his church. 
that there is a mystery there, that there is a, a reality that is pointed to in marriage, that it is a picture, it is a sign about Christ's love for his church. It's about the union that the bride of Christ, the people of God, have with their Lord, with Jesus. And so that's telling us marriage is never just about the two people. It's always about a witness to the bigger world. It's about others. Not that it's not about the two people, but it's not only about the two people. And the same goes when we think about a church community. If a church community is all about those that are already there and caring for one another, which that is part of what it's about, and that's a huge part of church community is caring for one another, right? We're the body. We care for the different members of the body. But if that's all our vision is, if there's no outward vision, if there's no sense of how do we care for the least of these, as we talked about last week, how do we care for those who do not yet know the Lord? How do we make sure we're a community that welcomes those in? Then the community suffers, right? Many churches can bear witness to that, that the more inward focused they became, the more actually their care for one another suffered. There's, again, maybe a bit of an irony there. And so when we look at actually the strange kind of marriage proposal, marry me so that I can care for my mother-in-law, again, I don't want to take all romantic love and commitment out of marriage, but there's actually something really powerful in that. Again, I think something we can learn to say actually love is about more than just us. It's about others. It's about caring for others. And that actually can bring a strength. One of my um, favorite quotes about marriage actually comes from a man who was never married, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, He wrote this uh, to his sister, um, who uh, was uh, newly married, um, and sadly, as I understand it, uh, he wrote it not long before he was put to death uh, by the Nazis um, during uh, World War II. Um, and he said to his sister, his newly married sister, about her marriage, he said, it's not your love that sustains the marriage, but from now on, it's the marriage that sustains your love. And by that, he's saying, your commitment to one another, these vows you make, that actually is what will help you continue to love one another. Right? We often think, oh, I hope the, the love doesn't run out of the marriage. And he's saying, no, the marriage will grow the love. Right? As we live out that commitment, that obligation, those vows. And so when I look at Ruth and Boaz and say, okay, their starting place actually was, we have a commitment to care for Naomi. We have an obligation to her. Again, I don't want to speculate too far. But I wonder, will that just strengthen their marriage, their bond with one another? Because they're beginning it by saying, it is good to honor vows. It is good to honor the other. Right? What a strong beginning right? for a marriage. It is good to honor the other. And so um, Boaz hears this. He celebrates it. Right? We see in Boaz this understanding that love is not this limited quantity. Right? It's not like, oh, there's just limited love to go around. And so if Ruth you know, loves um, Naomi, then that limits right, her love. But rather, he says, like, love is abundant. And what does he say? He says, everyone knows you're a worthy woman. And what's the first thing that we learned about Boaz? The first thing we're told about him in chapter 2 is that he's a worthy man. So actually, we see they are a very good match. Both actually honor other people. Both are seen to be worthy. So he celebrates her worthiness. He celebrates her love for Naomi. And we see actually that sense of abundance and that sense of I can do the right thing. I can trust that the right thing is being done. And the fact that then the next thing he says is, actually, though, I need to check with your other redeemer, <laughs> with the redeemer that has sort of first priority in caring for Naomi and being Naomi's redeemer. I need to check with him first. I mean, it's kind of a funny moment, right? It kind of, again, ruins the moment a little bit. Like, all right, thank you so much. You know, let's get married. But first I have to do this, right? And maybe things won't work out between us because of this. 
But he's honoring the expectation of that time. He's honoring the way God has set things up. And so we see even his integrity in that. Right? I will trust the Lord as I do the right thing. And we'll find out what happens uh, with that um, next week. Or you can read ahead. I'm in Ruth 4. But then we also see his abundance when he takes out six measures of barley. And it says, right, he puts them on her. We don't know how much a measure is. But clearly this was a lot of barley. Like she had to like carry it. Like it was some big amount that she brought back. And once again, we just see um, the abundance, the generosity, the redeeming love of Boaz reflecting, right, the redeeming love of his Lord. Perhaps he had heard Naomi say, I went away full and I came back empty. And it's like he is wanting to say, no, Naomi, there is fullness here for you. I want to assure you, as um, Ruth says, right, he wanted to make sure I did not go back empty-handed to my mother-in-law. He wanted to make sure that the message went to Naomi, there is fullness. I will care for you. I will honor my role as your redeemer. What a picture of fullness. So as we think about these characters demonstrating the love of God, the redeeming love of God, again, as I said, what's the source? Where does this come from? As we saw, it's a responsiveness into what God has done. It's an abundant love that comes out of the abundant love of the Lord and the abundant redeeming power of God. So as we read this and we say, well, who are the characters here? There's Naomi, there's Boaz, there's Ruth, but there's also the one telling us the story. I don't just mean that the narrator of this, whoever God inspired to write this out, but God himself, right? This is the word of the Lord. And so this is the story that we can hear the Lord telling us. As he's telling us the story, I believe he's saying to us, this is what I'm like. This is the type of redeemer I am. Do you see Boaz? Do you see how abundant he is? Do you see how he blesses? Do you see how he cares? This is what I am like. This is me as a redeemer. And again, keep in mind that this was written, or at least it took place. We don't know when it was written, but it took place during the time of Judges. A time, right, where Israel had settled in the promised land, and yet there's all this trouble there. They're settled, supposedly they're, they, they're in the place that God has promised for them, and yet they're, you know, experiencing attacks from enemies. They're experiencing rebellion among their people. They're experiencing awful things that are happening in their land, and how easy it would have been for the whole nation to feel like Naomi felt, right? We've been emptied, right? We should have been full, but we've been emptied. God has abandoned us. God has treated us like an adversary. And it's like the Lord is saying to them, no, I have not abandoned you. The end of the book of Judges says, at that time there was no king in the land. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And it's as if the Lord is saying, right, there are still redeemers. There's still righteousness in the land. And I am the source of that. And I will care for you. And such a message for us to take. It's very much an Advent message. Right? Advent is a time actually where we say we're not fully settled. Yes, our Redeemer has come in the flesh and has redeemed us and has saved us from our sins. And yet, at the same time, we can look around this world and we can say we are still attacked by enemies. Right? We still feel unsettled. We still see rebelliousness against God out there and in here, in our own hearts. And so we feel that unsettledness. Right? Advent is a time where we feel that tension. Jesus has come, and yet we await his coming again. And like right, Boaz and Ruth and Naomi, we can say... There is a greater fullness to come, but we can live in that fullness now. The Lord has provided for us. The Lord has redeemed us, and we live in anticipation. And so we can see abundance, right? Like these six, you know, measures of barley, and that can just heighten our desire, our longing for a greater abundance to come. 
perhaps especially in this season they were in, you know, this hard, hard fall and winter where we felt like, oh, we're finally done with the pandemic and yet it gets worse and worse even while we feel like it should be getting better and better. That we redeem, remember, right? Our Redeemer has come. Our Redeemer is coming. He will bring healing in his wings. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the way you speak to us through the book of Ruth. We thank you for the way you speak to us through all your word and for the promises that are there. And Lord, I pray that we would have eyes to see the ways that you pour out your abundant redeeming love on us right now. That you give us um, hearts full of gratitude and recognition of your redeeming work. And I pray, Lord, that you would fill us with a right longing, a right yearning for more. Lord, that we would look forward to that day when we would know a fullness of redemption that's beyond what we can even imagine right now, when we know you're coming again in the new heavens and the new earth. And so we pray, come, Lord Jesus, come. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.